Well, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, today is my very first Father's Day as a dad. And yeah, thank you. Now, as I, as I look back and reflect on my journey as a father thus far, however short it may be, I'm, I'm struck by just how much my life has changed. I went from being responsible to, uh, to just me and my wife to now being responsible for this, this precious little child. I went from holding an eight-pound potato of a baby to now chasing this little person who's so full of wonder who's got to weigh 80 pounds by now. I've gone from not knowing the joys of his giggle to now making it my life's mission each and every day to hear that sound over and over and over again. My life has changed a lot. But through all these changes, one thing has remained constant and steady. There's, there's, there's one statement that's been a shadow of mine all throughout these changes. It's, it's the statement, this is who I am now. Like when I lace up those slick white New Balance shoes and clasp a pair of tongs together and ask how you like your burgers done. Or when I have this, this innate desire within me to stretch my hand out and say, hi, tired, I'm dad. Or when I think about what I might look like with a mustache, those are the things that, that make me think, this is who I am now. Or like when I walk into work in the morning and I am disheveled. My hair's a mess, I got bags under my eyes, I'm covered in spit up and I got dried poop on my hands because I'm just so drained from the night before that I don't even care. And so I walk in thinking, this, this is who I am now. Or when I come home from work and I walk in the door and he sees me and knows that daddy's home and his eyes light up and he crawls over to me as fast as he can and I get to pick him up and I see my reflection in his eyes as he looks at me and says, dada. And I think, dada, this is who I am now. This is me. And I mention all of this not just because it's Father's Day and I'm a, I'm a proud papa now, but, but because the, the young church in the ancient city of Colossae was going through something similar. They were experiencing a lot of life changes of their own. And, and as a result, they're, they're trying to, to figure out who they are. So they had this mantra following them, but instead of a steady, this is who I am now, it's, it's more of a question of who am I now? So as we continue this week in our series where we're we're talking about Paul's underlying message in the New Testament book of Colossians, that Jesus Christ is Lord over everything, I want us to take a look and zero in on, on how Paul brings clarity to this young church by answering the question of who they are and addressing Jesus as Lord over even their identity. Because as we've talked about before in here, that the main change that, that the Colossians are presented with came by way of false teachers. See, these false teachers showed up in town and, and they start preaching and teaching a message that was contrary to what the apostles had previously taught. They're trying to convince the Colossians that, that salvation isn't obtained by grace through faith, but rather it's attained through, uh, through certain practices and beliefs, through certain customs. See, these false teachers held the belief that, that salvation was attained through a secret knowledge of, of things that uh, that are unavailable to most people. And the main driver behind this belief was, was the notion that, that everything on earth is physical and corruptible and eventually dies. So everything physical is bad, which means that everything spiritual is good. And so that's what we should be after. 
So in order to unlock the secret knowledge, you had to find a way to, to escape the physical, to, to kind of flee your physical body so you could be freed up to transcend to a higher level of spirituality. That's, that's the message that they're bringing to the Colossians, which was a significant change to what the apostles had taught. So couple this teaching with the racial tension that we talked about last week between the Jews and Gentiles, and it, it, it's no wonder that a lot of people in the church are confused. Because, because in this church, it's primarily made up of Gentile converts to Christianity. So on the one hand, they have the, the screaming voices of, of traditional Jewish zealots, of, of radically traditional Jews saying, saying the only way to be saved, to be certain that you're saved, is to bear the mark that is, uh, shall we say, a, a cutting off of a certain physical member. But that's how you know you're saved. You have cut off a small part of yourself. And the Gentiles haven't done that. On the other hand, they're, they're getting voices fed to them by these false teachers saying, no, 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 you have to shut off everything physical. You have to completely let that go. That's how you know you're saved. And so from every corner, these, these Gentiles are, who are new to the faith are, are hearing that salvation is, is a very physical matter, and they haven't done that yet. And so it's, it's, it's left them wondering, who am I? Am I really Christian? Am I, am I really saved? They're going through an identity crisis. Because when we boil it down to a, to a very simple level, identity, your identity is who you are. That's what makes you, you. And it might not seem obvious, but, but we in America deal with the same questions, the same problems, the same doubts that the Colossians did. We still have that question with us, that identity crisis question of who am I? What is my identity? It may look a little different, but we are in the middle of an identity crisis. Identity is one of the biggest problems in our society today. And I don't think you need me to elaborate on that. It's everywhere. We hear that word all the time. Our society is obsessed with defining and recognizing everyone's identity all the time. We, we may not have false teachers strolling through our neighborhoods and showing up at our workplaces. We can't put faces to names of these false teachers, but, but they're there. And they're talking to you, trying to convince you of who you really are, of what your identity is. And they're really good at it. See, they have convinced us to identify ourselves with three main things. The first one is the most concrete and obvious. It's the one that comes most naturally to us. They tell us to define ourselves culturally. They say that who you are is, is a matter of what your career is or where you're from, what your family name is, what your ideologies are. That it's a matter of what you do, where you're from, or how you think. That's what defines you. So next time someone asks you to, to tell them a little bit about yourself, pay attention to the things that that you rattle off right after your name, because those are the things that you identify with culturally. I do this job, I'm from this place, I went to this college. Another way we identify ourselves is through external things. You hear the, the false teachers of TV shows and billboards and commercials and ads, all trying to tell you that who you are is incomplete, that you're missing something, that what you really need is to be somebody who looks like this or who owns that, that what you really need to be is, is someone with this kind of job title who makes X amount of money because then you'll be successful, these voices say. Then you'll be happy. 
then you'll be whole. Because you're missing something, and that something is a little bit more attention or a little bit more stuff. And those are the things that will make you what you really want to be. So until then, you're incomplete and you're empty. And in a similar vein, we also identify ourselves internally. So sometimes we can shut out those external voices and those shouts of, uh, of culture, but, but we're left in bed when we lay our heads down at night in quietness, and we hear that little voice in the back of our head saying that, you know who you are? You're broken because of what's inside of you. You'll never be enough or you'll never be loved because there's something wrong with you or something wrong about you. That all you are and ever will be is that mistake you made when you were 19 years old in college off on your own, living your own life, and things got a little bit too physical with that person whose, whose name you can't even remember, but whose face has stuck with you through every relationship since. That's who you are. You are your past mistakes. You are guilty. You are unlovable and broken. All of us identify in these ways from time to time. It's just a matter of which, which way we choose to primarily identify ourselves in the moment. And no matter how we do that in the moment, whether it's culturally, externally, or internally, all of these ways we identify ourselves goes to show us that that who we say we are is attached to earthly things, whether it's our titles or our names or our experiences. While those things may not necessarily be bad, Paul's response to the Colossians shows us that our true identities, who we really are, is tied to something other than the world, something we're not even thinking of right now, that there's a different and a better voice out there who's telling you who you are, and we should listen to that voice. And this is absolutely crucial for all of us because regardless of when or where or how we live, since the fall of man, all of humanity has lost sight of who they really are, who we truly are, and we let other things try to convince us of our own identities. See, all these false teachers are, all, all, all their voices are echoes of what actually happened in Genesis 3. When the serpent looks at Eve and he, he convinces her of who she is culturally, externally, and internally. Culturally, he says that, that you're just a human you're just a creature. You're not God. You're limited. You're earthbound. But you don't have to be. Externally, he says, you're, you're also incomplete. You have a lot of things, but what you don't have is the wisdom and knowledge of God, of good and evil. But all that could be yours if you just take one bite. But until then, you're incomplete. He also speaks to her internally. He says, God's lying to you. You're not going to die if you eat this. He's only telling you that because he doesn't want you to be like him, because he doesn't actually love you. And Eve was convinced. And so was Adam. And if we're honest with ourselves, all of us are convinced of those same things. Since that moment, all of us have been doomed to repeat their same mistake. We lose sight of who we really are, and so we, we attach our identity to earthly things, and we search and we search and we search until we find any kind of answer, listening to any voice who will promise to tell us who it is that we are. And there's some of you out there right now who are still out there wandering, searching for answers, because you have no idea who you are. 
So let me start by telling you who you're not, okay? You are not a product of your past. You are not that shame that you carry with you. You are not lonely. You are not what the world says that you are. And I know this because I know who you really are. Paul told me. So let me tell you who you are. You are, you are Tim, created by God. You are Barbara, beloved by God. You are Sarah, child of God. You are, insert name here, God's chosen and cherished. That's who you are. And just in case you're having a hard time believing me, just in case you're questioning whether or not I'm one of those false teachers, take a look at what Paul says. Paul, apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. What does he have to say about the matter? So we look to Colossians 2, verse 9. He says that God himself took on a new identity in Jesus Christ. That he stepped down into our world for you and took on a physical body for you. And because he dwelt with mankind in its humanity, he identifies with you in your humanity. He identifies with you in your temptation. He knows what it's like to be anxious and lonely. He has felt pain and suffering. And not just that, he has felt your pain and suffering by bearing it on the hill of Calvary up upon that cross, and he took it to the grave for you. Paul then goes on to explain that, that Christ didn't just take on a new identity for you, but he gives a new identity to you in baptism, an identity that's rooted in him, because in baptism, we're united with Christ, we're linked to Christ, we're joined together with Christ, we're buried with him in his death for you, and we raise again to new life in him as a new creation. And in that, Christ has overcome the world and being joined to him, we have overcome the world too. So now the world has no say over your identity. It does not get to define you. Who you were according to this world is gone. It's in a tomb somewhere. That's not who you are. Your citizenship is no longer here. It's in heaven. Everything that you were missing has now been filled in Christ in whom the fullness of God dwells. And all of those accusations that stand against you have been set aside. All these things, all these voices of the world have been nailed to the cross that Jesus Christ bore for you. So yes, mankind has lost its identity in the fall. But through baptism, our true identity is regenerated and restored as children of God, as members of his family. See, the message that Paul has for those who are uncertain of who they are is that your identity actually really isn't about you. You're not the focal point. You're not the starting point. More so than your identity being who you are, your identity is whose you are. Because without knowing whose you are, we'll forever be disconnected to who we really are, who we truly are. And in baptism, you are assured that who you truly are is his. No special knowledge is needed. Just the knowledge that Jesus Christ took on a new identity for you and he has a new identity for you that he wants to give to you. You are his. That's the identity he has. He marked you as such in baptism. See, God uses physical elements to do these things, to give us a new identity. He attaches his promise to water and gives you that new identity as being his beloved child. So what Paul's saying here by explaining baptism is saying, don't listen to the voices of the false teachers in Colossae. We can do evil things with physical things, but God also uses earthly things 
to tell you who you are in him. And you don't have to listen to the internal voices telling you that all you are is broken because they have no place next to God's promise, next to his voice, that your past has been buried with Christ and you have been given new life as a new creation in him. And the external claims that, that you're incomplete or empty hold no weight because we know that we have been filled and made whole in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And in the end, our salvation is not about where we come from or what we do or what we've done. It's about having been made members of God's family because of what he's done for us, for you. That's your identity. That's who you are. You are baptized, beloved, chosen, and cherished child of God. You are forgiven and loved. You are made new. You are his. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we thank you that though we are prone to listen to the voices of the world, though we are prone to seek our identity in things like culture and, and things outside of us and the voices inside of us, that you have a better word for us, that you speak to us through your son, through your word, telling us that who we really are is forgiven. Who we really are, your children, your beloved, your chosen people. We ask that that voice telling us who we are would overshadow all these earthly voices that are trying to tell us who we are, but distract us from who we are in you. So may that be our hope, our focus this week, as we continue to enter into a world that's shouting at us. We have hope and peace, knowing that you have told us that we are clean, we are made new, we are made alive and baptized in Christ. All these things we pray in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.